Today we begin a, a brand new series of messages entitled Curious. The first of scripture that's going to anchor this series for the next six weeks is James chapter number one and verse number five. I want you to look at this with me. I'm reading it from the, the paraphrase, the message paraphrase. Look at how Eugene Peterson phrases it. He says, if you don't know what you're doing, pray to the Father. He loves to help. You'll get his help and won't be condescended to when you ask for it. Now, I love the way he phrased that. And especially this first part. Can I just say it again? If you don't know what you're doing, can anybody lift a hand and say, I have been there, done that. I said, times do not know what I'm doing. Let's just be honest. Sometimes we think we know what we're doing. And we also give the impression we know what we're doing. But down deep in our hearts, we know we don't know what we're doing. The, uh, the translations of this, uh, uh, rather his paraphrase, builds off of the word wisdom. Wisdom. Other translations will say like this. If you lack wisdom, let them at, let ask of God and he'll give it to you without finding fault. Now, that word wisdom means the capacity, and this is really important, the capacity to apply spiritual truths to daily decisions. I don't know about you, but that is something that I desperately need. I need to be, be able to apply the wisdom of God to the decisions that I will face each and every day. And then, because if you're like me, there are simply times I don't know what to do. I look at a situation. I, I walk into a meeting. I will be facing some some very critical things, whether it's in my family or in the church or in our neighborhood, whatever it is, and I just simply don't know where to turn. And I will tell you, when that occurs, I want the first thing that I do at that moment for me to turn to God and say, God, help me. And I know, according to this scripture, that God is there to help me. He's going to give me wisdom when I ask, and he's not going to put me down. He's not going to say, oh, good night. You just asked me the other day for something. What are you doing? You're doing this again? And it's the same thing. No, God doesn't do that. He doesn't condescend to us. He's not finding fault with us for asking. He wants us to ask. Now, hear this carefully. And this is really, really an important, an important part that I want you to grab onto for this series. Life is complex. Life is complex. And I need God's help to navigate it. Life is complex, and I need God's help to navigate it. And I'm telling you, that is an extraordinarily true statement. Life gets more complex by the moment. How am I going to navigate life? Often, if I don't know what to do, I've got to find someone who does. Well, God gratefully does. You see, we should be grateful that God has the ability to answer the questions that we have. And it's a word, it's a theological word, and if you're not into theology, just put your brain on hold for a second. It's one word, the word is omniscience, or omniscience. There you go, that's the, way I've always, that's the way I learned it many, many years ago. Omniscience, what does it mean? Omniscience means, it refers to the knowledge of God and his knowledge of the world's order. He has perfect and eternal knowledge of all things. In other words, there's nothing that God doesn't know. All knowledge belongs to him. In fact, we read in Psalm 147, it says, our, our Lord is great and powerful. There is no limit to what he knows. 
And one more, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 20. Even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our, feel, our feelings, and he knows everything. Now, one, one side of this, we could go, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, does like everything mean everything, Pastor Gary? Yes, everything means everything. Nothing, Scripture says, is hidden from the sight of God. In our lives, but often we look at this, we get a little guilty. We say, oh, wait a minute, I mean, I don't really have any privacy. No, you have privacy and you have freedom, but just the understanding that God knows should be a comfort and something that should not push us away from him. It should draw us closer to him. But he knows all things. There's, no, there, there's nothing that surprises him. So we need to ask him when we have questions in our lives. He is there to help us. And that's what we're going to talk about over these next six weeks. And today, we're going to talk about a relationship rehab. Relationship rehab. Father, bless our time together, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You, rem- you may remember this quote from a couple of years ago in a series that we did about relationships. And as everything in life rises and falls on the quality of our relationships. Everything in life rises and falls on the quality of our relationships. It's a powerful quote and one that I really believe to be true. So if it's true, if it's true, then we, gotta ha- we have to get this relationship thing right. Now, if you do a little, which I did, I did a little bit of a search. You know, there are no shortage of opinions on how to have healthy relationships. In fact, if you do a Google search, you're going to come up with 1.2 billion. That's with a B. That's with a B. Opinions on how to have healthy relationships. That's a lot of opinions. It wasn't until, as I was doing as best I could discern, it wasn't until page 14 of that search that I come up with anything that was faith-based. So it tells me that, the, that culture has particular opinions. Now, I'm not suggesting that in that 1.2 billion opinions, there aren't some good things, because there are. But that's not the point. There's a lot of opinions about how to have healthy relationships. Mostly, the information that was there was dealing with husbands and wives, that, couples and dating relationships, most of them. But as you know, relationships go farther, deeper, and wider than just couples. All of us have relationships that could probably use a little bit of health from time to time. And I'm, I'm perfectly, I perfectly understand that the relationships that we have, I have with my wife and my family are very important. I want them to be healthy. But I also want my relationships with my neighbors to be healthy. I want my relationships with my boss to be healthy with my employees to be healthy. The reality is, is that often our relationships go sideways. Sometimes we have no control over it, but most of the time we do. So how do we, how do we, how do we take care? How do we have healthy relationships? I read an article by uh, Dr. Thomas Corey, and the article was fascinating because it was about toxic relationships. Now, I could, we, if we had the time to go around the room and just say, okay, define a toxic relationship. Oh, we would have some kind of stories in this room today. Because we all, I think we all kind of know what a toxic relationship looks like. It's interesting, as I was studying or reading this article, here's what he stated. He said this, he says, no area of human endeavor seems more fraught with challenges and difficulties than our relationships with others. 
Relationships, like like most things in life worth having, require effort. The relationship that I have with my wife, the relationship with my family, the relationship with my neighbors, if I want it to be healthy, it's going to require effort. And when you look at toxic relationships, and he, began, he identifies eight different personality types and qualities of toxic relationships. Here's, here's just a couple of them, give you an idea of what he's talking about. A toxic relationship could be defined as a person who is a belittler. That person is someone who makes fun of you, takes no value in anything that you say, any opinion that you give, just belittles you all the time. Another example would be a, a person of bad temper. And you, there's probably not one of us in the room today who doesn't have some experience with someone who's just, oh man, don't hang out with him today. He has got, he is whatever. She got up on the wrong side. I don't even think she went to bed last night rather than getting up. I don't know what's going on. But man, that temper is, it is messed up today. You probably all know somebody. Don't answer that question. Then there's another one, the guilt inducer. Controls you by encouraging you to, listen to this, encouraging you to feel guilty anytime you do something he or she doesn't like. Now, these are just a few of them. But what it, what it illustrates, it illustrates that there are toxic relationships out there. And, and the challenge for us, because we can probably all relate to some degree of a toxic relationship we've experienced. Some of us as husbands, wives, Sons, daughters, we've lived in toxic relationships, unhealthy relationships. Another word that is quite popular, dysfunctional relationship. They bring a lot of pain and hurt and sorrow. And, and, and if, if, that is, if, if that's where you find yourself today, I want you to know something. There's help and there's hope. And if you're in a relationship today that is abusive, Hurtful and wounding, we're here to help, and it's, you can't stay, you've got to find, you've got to tell somebody, you've got to get some help. But if you feel in your heart of hearts, and you're desirous that I don't want to have, I don't want to be a person who, who is toxic, then I believe God has some things for us that'll help us resolve that. And it's really interesting, as I read the article, he concludes with this phrase. He says, the bad news is, and that's a great way to start it, isn't it? The bad news is, ready? You cannot change the other person. There it is. And often, (laughs) I'm going to look up, that way I'm not looking at anybody. (laughs) There are some fixers in this room. Am I right? And we want to fix. We want to heal. We want to help. We want to do. We want to make it right. We want to change that person. But I want to tell you something. You can't do it. It's not possible. That's the bad news. You ready for the good news? Good news is that you can change yourself. Now, this is from a clinical psychologist's perspective. So I want you to balance that. You can change yourself. I'm going to tweak that just a bit. You really can't, but God can. God can. God can. So we're going to talk about that for a little while. Romans chapter 12. It's a long passage of Scripture. 
So actually, what I'm going to do is I'm going to make a little bit of a change to our technical folks. Um, we're not going to read it in its entirety at this point because I'm going to read it as I discuss each of the points. I want to focus, we're going to focus on that passage or that portion of that passage for each point. So we're going to go to point number one, which says this. I'm going to give you three things today about how to, how to have a healthy relationship. The first one is this. Healthy relationships say no to cultural norms and yes to godly ideals. One more time. It says no to cultural norms, and it says yes to godly ideas. So Romans chapter 12, beginning at verse number 1. So I'm going to ask you, I've, I mentioned, I'm going to, if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn there and, and keep this open. Mark it as something. It will be on the screen for you. But Romans chapter 12, verse number 1. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. A few minutes ago, I referenced the Google search that I did on the opinions or having a healthy relationship, 1.2 billion different opinions. And again, I'm not suggesting that there aren't some good things there. But they're all from a particular perspective. Not all of them, but the grand majority are from a particular perspective. They're from a 2019 or before cultural perspective. It is very important for us to understand that our contemporary culture is going to say, this is how you do a healthy relationship. But is that what God's way is? Is that God's ideal? Do we buy into the cultural perspective of today and build our life off of that? I would suggest that that is, that is a recipe for disaster. Why? Just look at culture. Look at how culture has turned so far away and things are occurring within our culture. You're going, what is going on? I just celebrated a birthday, and I don't feel very—I don't feel much different than I did when I was seventeen. Um, why are you laughing? I really don't. I look a little different. I will tell you that, just a little, not much. But it is in the years from that from that moment until now, the way culture has shifted and changed is just unbelievable, and it it seems to be rapidly changing. I don't believe that there's a tremendous amount. There, there's some value, but I don't know that the eternal value of, of building my life and my relationships on cultural perspectives of 2019 are, gonna, are very valuable to me. You see, we dare not, as, as Christ followers, build our lives on what culture determines to be right and wrong. I'm going to say that again. And for those of us in the room who are Christ followers, there needs to be an amen to this one more time. We dare not, as Christ followers, build our lives on what culture determines to be right and wrong. If we're doing that, we've missed it. We've missed it. You see, when, when Paul says here to the Romans, he says he states an outcome at the end of this passage. And let me just read it again, but I'm going to read it from the contemporary English version. It says, then you will know, Paul says, then you will know how to do everything that is good and pleasing to him. It's interesting, Paul says it. He says, you'll, you'll know how. 
How are you going to know if you do certain things? If we will follow the ideals of what God has laid down and not the cultural norms of 2019, then we're going to know how to please God. I want my relationships to please God, whether family, employer, neighborhood, wherever it is. I want my relationships to please God. So three things. Number one, God's ideal. I want you to say yes to God's ideal. Say yes. God's ideal is a lifestyle of worship. That's the first thing. God's ideal is a lifestyle of worship. We're to offer ourselves, Paul says. The imagery is an Old Testament sacrifice where a person would bring an offering to the Lord and would literally present it to God. Here's my offering. We are to do the same with our lives. But it's our life, it's our life, it's our lifestyle, it's our actions, it's our words, it's our hearts, it's everything that we are. And once again, I'm going to use the message for this same passage, Romans chapter 1, 12, verse 1. It says, so here's what I want you to do. Listen carefully. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do. What Paul is saying, our lifestyle of worship, in everything we do, we present it to God. Lord, let this be pleasing to you. My eating, my sleeping, my walking around, my conversations, everything I do, I give it to you as an act of worship. No, it's not walking down the streets with your hand raised and singing worship songs. If you want to do that, go right ahead. That's not what it is. But everything that we do, we are offering it as worship unto the Lord. This offering of worship is to be in our everyday lives. So just understand this. Worship is the way that we live, not what we do on a weekend. Worship is the way we live, not what we do on the weekend. And the influence of that is absolutely off the charts. Peter says this. 1 Peter chapter 2, be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. They even, then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. In other words, those around us, when they see a lifestyle of worship, they're going to say, I, don't, I think they're doing something wrong, but you know something? I can't, I can't fault them for the way they live their lives. That's going to build a relationship with that person. It creates a bridge. It creates health in that relationship. The second thing is we need to say yes to God's ideal of not conforming to the world's way of doing things. We need to say yes to God's ideal of not conforming to do things the world's way. We are not. And I'm just going to throw some statements out here. First, casual sexual encounters do not prepare you for a healthy marriage. Anger justified as it's just the way I am will not promote harmony in any relationship. Crude language is not the great motivator culture suggests that it is. What am I saying? These are things that culture says are all right. Casual sex, that's just fine. No big deal. No, according to God, it's not. It is a big deal. Sexuality is reserved between a husband and a wife in the marriage bond approved and blessed by God. That is what God's ideal is. We have to say yes to that. To just say, well, I'm just a good old boy. I come from a family of just angry people. That's just who I am. That's what I'm going to... Excuse me? What an excuse. No, anger is not of God. There's, there's nothing there that's godly. Crude language, those four-letter words, those colorful metaphors, whatever you want to call them, it's lazy language. 
and I don't care in what setting. Did you hear me? I don't care in what setting. It's lazy language. It's crude. It is not a motivator. I can motivate somebody I believe just as well without ever using anything that literally goes against the righteousness of God. Culture says it's okay. God says, that may be cultural norms, but my ideal is say, no, say yes to my ideal. Say yes to my ideal. 1 John chapter number 2. This is not in your notes. I, I wrote this late last night, and I just put it in, or inserted it, and I'm just going to read A popular culture does not determine our moral standards. God does. God's word does. That's not where we get our clues to live life. It's God's word. 1 John chapter 2, don't love the world's ways, don't love the world's goods. Love of the world squeezes out the love for the Father. Practically everything that goes on in the world, wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear important, has nothing to do with the Father. It just isolates you from Him. The world in all its wanting, wanting, wanting is on the way out, but whoever does what God wants is set for eternity. Hallelujah. Number three, need to say yes to God's ideal of thinking differently, of thinking differently. God's ideal is we think differently. And I, I, I wrestled, now I don't know if wrestled is the right word, but I certainly walked this through in my heart and mind over this past week. Paul says it this way, that we're to be transformed. Okay, we're not to conform to the pattern of the world, but we're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Our minds have to shift. Because most of us, now I, I have, a, my wife is a retired elementary school teacher, uh, taught in public schools forever. Uh, I have a son who is a elementary, no, he's a middle school teacher. I have a daughter-in-law who is a high school assistant principal. I've got, we got education all over the place, okay? So I get it. Most of us, if not all of us, probably have been educated in this country. We, and in that, just saying that, we have a particular way of thinking. We have been taught this. And I think at times, culture invades that. And I'm not saying that's a wrong or, I'm not saying it's wrong, it just does. It, that's just the way it is. There are cultural norms. I understand that. But when it comes to the things of God and having a healthy relationship, one that pleases God, that is doing his perfect and good will, we have to think differently. We have to think godly. We have to think godly. A new orient, I love this phrase, a new orientation, a new orientation in our thinking leads to a new orientation in our behavior. When we have a change of how we think, our actions are different. Romans chapter 8, verse 6. If your thinking is controlled by your sinful self, there is spiritual death. Did you hear that? If your thinking is controlled, by your sinful self, there's spiritual death. But if your thing is controlled by the Spirit, there's life and peace. One more. Philippians 4. Finally, my friends, keep your minds on whatever is pure, true, pure, right, holy, friendly, and proper. Don't ever stop thinking about what is truly worthwhile and worthy of praise. Let me just give you one example of how you can change your thinking. I'm holding it in my hand. It is the Word of God. Let the Word of God get into your heart, into your soul, into your thinking. Let this be what directs everything that comes out of your mouth and out of your heart. That's what will happen. So the second thing this morning, so first, just one more time. We say no to cultural norms and yes to God's ideal. Second, 
Have a healthy relationship, it requires an honest self-assessment. An honest self-assessment. Romans chapter 12, verse 3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of you has one body with many members, these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's encouraging, if it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Now, I wonder, have you ever taken... Now, I'm going I'm to use two, two different phrases. I'm going to use the same sentence, but I'm going to use it twice, different ways. First, have you ever taken, don't answer this. This is, not a, this is not a, yeah, I've done that. Okay, don't go there, okay? Have you ever taken a self-assessment? Now, I'm going to add one more thing to it. Have you ever taken an honest self-assessment? And that, <laughs> that's really critical. Because I look at this, and Paul says it very clearly. One more time. This has been one of my life verses, Romans 12, 3. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. You have to be honest about that. Now, I'm just going to be a little bit, I'm going to fillet myself a little bit for you this morning. Okay? I've used this phrase on many different occasions. And, but before I use it, just so that you know what a self-assessment is. In social psychology, self-assessment is the process of looking at oneself in order to assess aspects that are important to your identity. Okay, so you look at this self-assessment so you understand who you are. Okay, so here's a phrase that I've used many times, and I'm going to use it again today. Ready? The older I get, the better I was. One more time. The older I get, the better I was. Now I'm going to add to this. The truth is, I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be an honest self-assessment. I was good at a bunch of things. Good at a bunch of things, but <laughs> but I wasn't as good as I want to remember. I want to remember that I was great. That's what I want to remember, but that's not honest. Maybe I had a great moment, or I had a great second, but great all the time? No. You see, honest self-assessment takes a true look at who you are and, and really lays that before the Lord and says, God, here I am with sober judgment. God, this is who I am. I take a look, and, and I think then we, we couple that with what David said. You know, take a look at my heart. What, what, what's going on inside me? Paul said it, to examine ourselves with the help of the Holy Spirit. So I would take a couple of things from this. The first is this, healthy relationships out of this, this self-assessment require humility. Humility. I need to be humble. And when I take an honest look at myself, to humble myself before the Lord. And this is not just directed at young people, but it's, it's, that's the way the phrase is in 1 Peter 5. It says, young people, I have something to say to you, Peter says. You should accept the authority of the elders. In other words, be responsive to those who are older. But look at this part. This is for all of us. You should... All have a humble attitude in dealing with each other. Let me just stop. You want to have a healthy relationship? Humble yourself. Humility. Look, soberly, look at yourself. Because look at what P. 
Peter goes on to say, God is against the proud, but he's kind to the humble. Second thing, not only is there humility connected, but healthy relationships promote unity. When Paul talks about this sober judgment, he then he, he moves from sober judgment and he starts, he uses an imperative for, for, the, for Christ followers and he speaks about unity. In other words, he's saying, he, he's championing what other people's abilities are. I wonder when we do a healthy self-assessment, do we place ourselves above others and therefore become in a toxic relationship and belittle others to make ourselves look better? Or do we champion other people's abilities and we remain in unity with them? That's what Paul's saying. Rupertus Meldinus. Now that's a very poor, very poor rendition of this man's name. He was a 17th century German theologian and historian. And this is what he wrote. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, charity. Powerful statement, isn't it? One more time. In essentials, unity. In other words, the things that are unchangeable. We stay in unity. That's what Paul's saying. In non-essentials, you know, we can, we can have liberty. In other words, we don't always have to agree. We can, we can agree to disagree and still remain in unity. And Paul is making that very clear. And then all things charity or love. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 says this. Dear brothers and sisters, I close my letter with these last words. Be joyful, grow to maturity, encourage each other, and look at this. Live in harmony and peace. Then the God of love, then the God of love and peace will be with you. There is a unity that is required for us to have a healthy relationship. The third thing that Paul talks about is that healthy relationships champion diversity. And he talks about spiritual gifts. And it's what I love about this is that healthy relationships are going to champion what other people's giftings are. It's very, very significant. Because each of us have unique abilities and gifts. And I want to support. I want to champion that. I want that to be out in front. And here's what's important. There's no room. There's no room for envy or jealousy or belittling. These are not what will create, maintain, and grow healthy relationships. But we embrace someone's diversity. We embrace the difference. We remain in unity through all of that. We remain humble. What's going to happen? Relationships are just going to be better. And then finally today, third, healthy relationships are shaped by an active godliness. By an active godliness. And the last portion of Romans chapter 12 that we're going to read today, it's the longest portion, but Paul does something very unique here. And it's somewhat out of character for him. He uses 22 different commands, and they're very rapid fire. He doesn't give explanation. He just hits one after the other. He does them rapidly, but he also does them randomly. There's no continuity to them. But when you put it all together, what you see is you see a godliness that's described. So that being said, I'm going to walk through this kind of on a walking commentary through it. So just look at it on the screen with me. We're going to pause from time to time, at a particular point in the scripture. And I'll give just a couple of thoughts. First, we're going to continue. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Love must be sincere. Healthy relationships, hear this. Healthy relationships 
cannot be hypocritical. We cannot walk, say, to someone, whether wife, husband, friend, employer, neighbor, schoolmate, whomever it may be, it's not one thing in their presence and something else when we're not with them. Love is sincere. It's not two-faced. It's not hypocritical. Paul goes on. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. As a Christ follower, we are attached to the good and we are to hate evil. Think about the contrast there. If something is good in a relationship, what should we do? We should champion it. If something is evil, we should have nothing to do with it. You say, well, how does that factor into relationships? Well, let me just say it this way. It could call into the question the depth of a relationship. Later on, and Paul would say this to the Corinthians. He would say, don't become unequally yoked with unbelievers. Now that is in relationship, I believe, to husbands, wives, but it's also in the depth of our relationships. It doesn't mean that we walk away from people who don't understand or know Christ. No, that's not what it means. But we have to monitor, we have to be aware and careful of the relationships that are contrary to what we believe. We cannot acquiesce to certain things that are absolutely contrary to the things of God for the sake of, hear this, of a relationship. You say, well, how does that all work? I've told this story before, but... I had a, a gentleman in our church called me one day. His boss was asking him to do something that he knew was absolutely improper. It was, he, he could not do it in good conscience, but he was told by his boss, if you don't do this, you will no longer be working for me. And he said, what do I do? And I said, what do you believe that you should do? He says, well, this is what I believe I should do. And I said, well, that's what I was going to say. You've got to stand up for your principles because what he is asking you to do is absolutely contrary to the things of God. Who do we want to please, men or God? If we please men, will we have a temporary okay? Maybe. If we please God, we have one that's eternal. So Peter made the decision. He says, I know what I'm going to do. I'm not, I'm not going to do it. He called me a couple of days later. He said, Pastor, he says, I want you to know I did not follow through with what he asked, and he, I was fired. And I said, Peter, I'm very sorry. He said, I'm not. I'm going to be fine. God's going to take care. He called me two weeks later. He said, Pastor, I just want you to let you know I got a job. It pays more. The hours are better. And he went on down the line just championing and, and saying, thanks be to God for what God did in his life. Understand. There are times that in relationships we must cling to what is good and hate that which is evil. We can't make that compromise because we want to do the good, perfect, and pleasing will of God. Go on. We'll be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. So as we look at this, this is showing a genuineness in how we express our love to each other. You know, honor is something that can't be minimized in the power of honoring someone else. Paul says it very clearly. Paul goes on, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. I would just say it this way, that we're to serve God with passion. When we serve God with passion, others take notice of our lives. This is an active godliness. That makes a huge difference in our relational, our relational opportunities. 
Paul goes on, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. We're to be generous and hospitable. I'm telling you, there is something incredible about just being generous to your neighbor, being hospitable to them. Now, this is a small thing. It really is a small thing. But in our HOA, many of you have HOAs similar to ours, I'm sure, maybe more restrictive than ours. Ours isn't all that restrictive, but we have requirements that if we're going to make changes to our house, we have to have neighbors that all around us sign off and say it's okay that they paint their house purple. You know, it's perfectly fine. Not really. They won't let purple be the house color. But the point is you've got to have your neighbors sign off. So we, had a, we have a brand-new neighbor just moved in across the street, and they're trying to make some changes. So Ben and Rachel came over, and we spent probably... 30 minutes, maybe a little longer, just talk and get to know them. And then at the end of that conversation, he said, eh, by the way, uh, I need to have, make some changes. Will you be willing to sign off on my thing? And I said, absolutely. Happy to do that. You know, we had to go to our neighbors and ask them to sign off, and they were happy to do it. You see, generosity and hus- hospitality, as it were, creates an atmosphere of health within a relationship. I believe there will be other times that Ben and I will have the opportunity to talk about other things of more significance because of hospitality and generosity. Paul goes on. He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with each other. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. In other words, honor others. In a day where dishonor and disrespect is popular, when Christ followers, as Christ followers are, we honor people inside the church. We honor people here, but honor does not stop when we walk outside the door. We can honor those outside this environment, and I will tell you, it points them through our active godliness. It points them to the one in whom we have given, or to whom we have given our allegiance and our heart. Paul goes on, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to, once again, fillet myself just for a moment. There was a time... Was in an environment that I didn't particularly think was a healthy one. Relationally, it wasn't healthy. Where at one point in this particular relationship, I was standing on the stairs, and I'll, I don't, stairs like this, outside the church, having a conversation with the pastor I worked with. It really wasn't a conversation, it was a shouting match. It was the most dysfunctional pastoral relationship I'd ever had. I didn't know how to respond. And I'm going to tell you something. I didn't respond well. I look at this verse and it says, as, as, far, as, it's, as far as it's upon me to live at peace with everyone, I wasn't doing my job. I wasn't doing what I needed to do according to Scripture. I wasn't doing it. I'm not going to say anything about my colleague and friend now in ministry. And we're all good, by the way. So everything's been straightened out over the years. But my point is, I look at this, 
and I say, God, forgive me for not, for not making peace or being at peace. with everybody. You see, as far as it is possible for me, remember, you cannot change the other person. You can't make a difference. You can't, you can't change their heart. You can't change what they do. You can't change what they say. But we, with God's help, can change ourselves. So it is incumbent upon me to live at peace with everyone. And I will do everything I can to do that. Does that mean that I just bow over and take it? Sometimes. Sometimes. If that's what it requires, fine. Because I'm going to do everything I can to maintain that relationship. I want that relationship to be healthy before God. Now, this may mean, for some of us, to accept forgiveness from someone else. But it may also mean that we extend forgiveness to someone. And that's hard. It's hard. I understand how hard it is to forgive. But God is able to help us even in the midst of that. Because I want, here's here's what I want. I want to do the good and pleasing and perfect will of God. I want to be in that posture before the Lord. That's more important. And he'll help me to accomplish that and to put that into place. And I would say, when I look at that verse, this last phrase comes to mind. This is limitless in its implications. There aren't boundaries to this. God, help me to understand how deep this is. And Paul goes on, he says, don't be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Healthy relationships promote the good, and as a result, evil is overcome. Good is, good is what comes, bubbles up, from the t- bubbles up from the bottom to the top. Good is what we see. And I love what the writer of Hebrew, excuse me, what the writer of Proverbs would say. Solomon says, Proverbs 15.1 reads, a gentle answer deflects anger. Let me tell you something. Somebody comes at you and your answer is gentle and kind and without harshness. I'm going to tell you something. You can't change them. You can only change yourself with God's help. So, as we bring our time to a close this morning, I reflect upon what Paul says and I look at this and I said, you know something? (laughs) I can't do all this. This is just beyond me. And I wrestled with this whole thought during the week as as I prepped. And here's to me what I believe God spoke into my heart. Everything from verses 3 through 21 of Romans chapter 12 hinges on verses 1 and 2. Okay, so one more time. Everything from verse 3 to 21 hinges on on verses 1 and 2. Or you could say this, everything from verses 3 to 21 flows out of what has already taken place in verses 1 and 2. One more time, therefore I urge you brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, because of what God has done in our life through Jesus Christ, we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and 
perfect will. Without the transforming power of Christ in our lives, without the renewing of our minds, without a dedicated commitment to not conforming, and without a lifestyle to offering ourselves to God, having healthy relationships may be further out of our grasp than any of us could ever imagine. That's where it starts. You have to. If you want a healthy relationship, offer yourselves to God as your act of worship. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Say, no, no, I'm not going to buy into the 1.2 billion opinions about how to have a healthy relationship. It comes back to God. But if, maybe I should say this, but, but when, but when we do these things, it allows us to honestly assess our lives and live godly. It gives us that opportunity to, to live that active godliness. And one last phrase. Relationships never die a natural death. They're killed by ego, attitude, and ignorance. We look at our, we look at our relationships and we say, well, it's everybody else's fault that I'm not. Well, no. Ego says, I will not lay down my life before the Lord. Ignorance says, I will turn away from what God's word says. Attitude says, I'm not going to do this. I am just a good old boy, and I'm going to talk and live the way I want to. No. We offer ourselves to God. We don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world. But we allow God, by his word and by his spirit, to transform our lives. And then, his good, pleasing perfect will we understand and enjoy and our relationships are healthy and bring honor to God. Father, thank you for your word this morning. These moments as we close our time together, I pray that each of us, wherever we find ourselves relationally, Lord, we'll wrestle with this, we'll deal with it. Lord, just do something wonderful in our lives, I pray in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Amen.